Jonathan Jana De Lawrence. Right through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Fuller has scored for Stoke. Ten minutes to go. And it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Once again, we find ourselves at an FA Cup weekend with no Stoke game to talk about, so we decided to throw this show open to you, the listeners. We asked you to ask us any vaguely Stoke-related question you could, in an attempt not just to settle a few arguments, but to help you get to know us a bit more. Before we get started, a bit of housekeeping. Next Sunday, the three of us will be in Sheffield, watching the Spurs game at the Common Room, before recording episode 44 pretty much straight after. So if you're in the area and want to come watch the game, have a beer with us, uh, drop us a tweet and uh, we'll meet you at the common room. So, there's a lot of questions to get through. Thank you very much to everyone who sent one in. But we'll start with questions of our own. My question to you two is, what was your first Stoke game? My first Stoke game was against... um... Well, it was after the Manchester City and Manchester United victories last season. And then I decided to become a Stoke fan, so I decided to um, to go to my first game. No, I'm joking. My first Stoke <laughs> game was against Bournemouth in about 1999. I don't know the specific game because I don't really remember it, if I'm honest. But I've got the ticket in a weird little scrapbook where I've got lots of Stoke-related tickets and what have you and yeah I saw it and and that was my first Stoke game all those years ago I was about six years old um, and I probably had a good time because I've been going back for years and now I'm speaking about us on a podcast for some reason (laughs) there we go do you remember what do you remember what the score was um no I don't and I didn't check because because I don't want to like sort of look at the game and find out the score because that would kind of ruin I mean, for some reason, you realize, the magic. You realise people will just tweet you now with what the result was from that game. You know, you know, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm googling it now to be honest. Uh, tweet away, oh, oh, tweet away. Oh, oh, that was the result. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Chris, yes. uh, do you do you recall your first Stoke game? Not, not overly. I, I like looking into it. I feel. That it was in 99-2000 season, and it was against Wigan uh, at at home. Um, now I would have been about nine or so at the time, and it seems to have sparked a relationship with Wigan that I absolutely hate because I I don't recall us having many good days against Wigan. Um, but I believe it ended in like a one-one draw or something like that. But it was a very long time ago, and. I knew this question was coming and I had to like think right when would it have been and that's that's the earliest my memory goes so I'm going to say that one okay so um <laughs> glamorize all uh, I think I think I can beat that though um I think this was the 98 99 season my first game uh, I I believe I've mentioned this on the podcast before but it was a 4-1 home defeat to Bristol Rovers um <laughs> And I, I can't remember much apart from uh, the fact that when Bristol Rovers scored, I think I celebrated because I, I wasn't quite sure what the teams were, but I was just Aww. like ha- happy that a team had scored. Aww. So yeah, I was I was instantly a traitor from from that day really. But that's that's yeah. quite that. I mean, 
like to, to go off on a little bit of a tangent like i you do see that at games you see kids who've come along who actually just they they they've been brought along like i remember where where we where my season ticket used to be there was a kid who would always come along and was sat near the side of us who'd bring their like game boy along with them and would be like trying to tell the dad look look at look at the pokemon i've caught and the dad's like I'm, okay it's fine i mean one of my, on one of my earliest memories this is really quite like incredibly embarrassing but when i was really little and we used to play for like a saturday team um i was never that good at football and in fact one of the times just during a game i just stopped and played power rangers in the middle of the field so <laughs> i think that's so yeah so not yeah <laughs> i don't feel like i want to anymore no it's fair enough okay uh ben your question please well okay um my question was in light of recent political events i won't go into detail on that but if you could pick one game that you weren't at but you wish you were at which game would that be that's a. I mean, I I feel like there's only one correct answer, and that is got to be the League Cup final because, Ooh. You know, it, well, it would be for me. It would be because it's the the one time we've won a respectable trophy, Watney Cup and the uh, Auto Windshield. Aside, it's the <laughs> it's the it's the biggest honour that the club's won and. Um, yeah, I think it would have to be that. It would have to be that for me. Dave? Um, well, I actually was thinking in terms of my lifetime, like games that games I missed out on. So um, I hadn't considered games before I was born, but yeah, I think it might well be the League Cup final. But uh, the answer I've got written down here was uh, Ninian Park 2002, the playoff semi-final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where we snatched... Defeat from the uh, snatch defeat, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Uh, James O'Connor in the last minute, sticking it through Graham Kavanagh's legs. Um, I think about six hundred Stoke fans went to a hostile Ninian Park, and it's just one of those games that sort of validates you as a as a football fan in a lot of people's eyes. It's like, well, you were there at Ninian Park, wow. Uh, so it was probably that, but also. I was considering uh, I had I'd never I didn't go to a European away game in 2011, and I'd, I'd love to have gone to any of them. Valencia would have been amazing, even though we lost. But I think had I the choice now to like go to one of those away ties, I think I would have gone to Split um, to watch Stoke in Croatia, Ryan Shotton scoring a last-minute <laughs> goal, uh, <laughs> incredible home fans, all of that. So yeah, one of those two. I mean, yeah, Dave, that your answer was pretty much what my thinking on that as well. I mean, the League Cup, that would have been a mental. I'm sure it would have been in 1972, what, what a time that would have been. But yeah, 2002 would have been probably my choice. And the pick of cities would, for me would have been Valencia, despite the result. I was looking at it and like, I really want to go to Valencia. Um, I'd love to try one of their famous oranges, maybe. Um, soak up the sun. <laughs> Wearing my Stoke really? shirt. That sounds like a dream. Trying oranges. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. That was a that was a lovely question, that Benjamin. Um, okay, okay. should we move on to my question? Because I'm excited for this one. Go on. Right, okay. So, my 
my my question came from the position of quite often it, it's touted around that our oh, football should be for the fans blah 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 and you're seeing an increasing number of like English fans going overseas to watch games uh, particularly in Germany where you know the fan comes first in in your opinion we'll start with you Dave what do you think the Premier League can do to improve the overall fan experience that's a very good question um there's lots of like gimmicks that clubs do that sort of uh, get fans in uh, I think a lot of people like uh, St Pauli uh, not just because of their sort of uh, they identify with the politics of that club but they do things like uh, the director's box had a sausage train which was a little toy train that drove that drove around uh, like German bratwurst sausages that you could just pick off like a, a yo sushi and eat there <laughs> And I think also they may have had like a keg of beer under the seats that you could just like pour with oh the match is pretty dull. So yeah, you've got like you know daft stuff like that, which is fun and would be amazing. But I think um, in terms of realistic sort of things to make football great again, uh, to borrow a phrase, um, <laughs> I, I, I would be I would think the the main thing that could sort of help rejuvenate atmospheres and sort of bring bring back a certain uh, atmosphere to games would be the introduction of safe standing sections. Uh, I understand there's uh, some opposition to them, which I totally get, by the way, but I think Celtic at the moment are proving that safe standing not only works, but helps generate an atmosphere in in games where there's maybe just like where where there might not be one, you know. Ben, what do you think? Well, that that is an amazing answer, um, and I'm not sure I'm <laughs> going to beat that. To be honest, um, it would be nice if the if the tickets were cheaper. No, um, mm. yeah, I, th- I think that's a major point. I think I think the fact that the atmos- I think the atmosphere doesn't help as you I think you mentioned the question about the Bundesliga being this friendly league I think the sort of the aggro between fans and even or between opposite opposition fans and even between fans sometimes where you get that you see the fights in the stands that doesn't help the image of the game and and it's not really sort of encouraging families to come when when you've got all the all the language we're going to speak about I think Delilah a bit in a in a bit um and that kind of thing and I think if you're going to see a change and sort of a change for the better and encouraging people to come more then there has to be this really huge attitude change that I don't really see happening so it's a difficult one but just make the make the tickets cheaper so that I can afford to go that would be lovely absolutely lovely yeah I think I agree I agree I mean you've both raised some really good points there I mean what you were saying there then Ben like I, I, I kind of agree that like I think people look at we're using the Bundesliga as an example they look at it and think we should transplant that into the English game now the German game has developed along its own roots and is very very different in its nuances to the English game so you couldn't just pick it up and you you couldn't just take Dortmund's atmosphere and put it into Stoke-on-Trent that would be ridiculous um because it's developed over time what I would say is having having been to German football games myself it's weird that it's not exactly a 
I wouldn't say it's a family friendly atmosphere you know it's not like oh bring your kids along there are kids there <laughs> but it's still I don't know the, the, yeah. the way to describe it would be it's more in, in king to a like a gig like going to a concert or something uh, okay and, yeah and that, uh, sorry Chris uh, that, that's what I was going to say there's a sort of balance to be struck when we talk about sort of atmosphere at football matches between uh, making it family friendly which I think we want we want to see young kids at football matches having the same experiences we had, uh, albeit with better results. Um, <laughs> but but you've also got to sort of counter that with mm. sort of not pricing out sort of the working class yeah. blokes who who are, are as entitled to go as anyone else is absolutely. So and you think but you think with a large group of male with a large group of males in general. Mm. There's going to be some foul language and stuff, so I think the, it goes back to my point about the sort of safe standing where you can have a section for, you know, yeah. your, your raucous, you know, industrial language, and you, you can also have, yeah, you know, your your family stands and whatever. So uh, it's a hard balancing act to get right. I I certainly wouldn't want us to become uh, a club where families didn't feel comfortable going mm-hmm. no. and I also wouldn't feel comfortable in being like a really sanitised Arsenal-like kind of thing so no. yeah I, I yeah completely agree I mean I, I really like that whole um, I don't know what the correct phrase is but like the the, the punk rock side of football I, I really like that's I'm really into the whole atmosphere at, at grounds being a bit more I don't know, rough around the edges. Not in, in, in we're going and having a fight and we're all part of the naughty forty, but yeah. like I, I, I like that. I, but then equally, you need, you do need fans of young age to come through. That's how we keep getting new fans. But I, I agree. I think in the first instance, to the, make the Premier League better, introduce safe standing, cheaper ticket prices. That in the first instance would, I think, encourage. Just a, yeah. a general better feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll move on to questions from the listeners now. There are a lot of them, and I've tried to sort them into some kind of order. So we will have some initially some questions on Stoke and the current Stoke team. Uh, then we'll have like Stoke history and our experiences of watching them, and then we'll just have some uh, random nonsense that we've been sent in right at the end. So uh, <laughs> I'll start. Uh, the this first question is not from a Stoke from it's from Palace website uh, Red and Blue Army so uh, thanks guys for sending this in uh, and their question is does the saying can he do it on a cold night in cold Tuesday night in Stoke piss you off Ben <laughs> um, to be honest when that phrase first coined I mean whoever coined that phrase first fair play they, they started a movement almost with that phrase but no, when it, when it first came out, it was something that I was kind of proud of, really, because it was people were talking about Stoke, and as I've mentioned on the pod numerous times before, coming from where I come from, you don't get many Stoke fans at all. So the fact that Stoke were in the in the limelight, even if it was this sort of maybe negative connotations with that phrase, I thought it was great, and I thought it was sort of a flag to stand by and be proud of and be like, yeah, we're Stoke, and people don't like us. I love that. And now it's just, it's got to that stage where it's continued to be used and I just find it a bit boring. I, just, I find that whole sort of meme culture where it's like just reusing the same stuff and it's still funny for some reason. I just find that boring and just get a new joke. Come on. We're not, it's not <laughs> yeah. like that anymore. 
global warming has warmed Stoke up, so stop using the same joke. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Typical of the left-wing agenda on this podcast, talking about global warming. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that's all I need to say on that. I think I, I agree. It's become somewhat of a, of a cliche almost, hasn't it? It's, I think, for me, the phrase is symbolic of uh, almost like journalists, football journalists who actually don't really know what they're talking about. And so they're like, oh, right, got to write something about Stoke. That fra- yeah, use that phrase. That's that's not changed in eight years, has it? We'll just yeah, we'll use that. And it's it's <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's symbolic of people who just don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Because yeah, the the cold Tuesday night down the Britannia no longer exists. It's not a we don't play that way anymore. I, I'm not even sure it was really ever true. We definitely had a had a really hostile atmosphere and. Definitely teams didn't like coming to us in that first season under Pulis. But what I sort of took away from people using that phrase was like uh, they were using it to to slag off foreign players usually. It was a Richard Keyes and Andy Gray yeah. kind of staple. It was a yeah. it was an easy brush to label players with. I think Gray in a newspaper column even said, Oh, could Messi do it on a cold night in Stoke? Which is just, you know, kind of ridiculous to be honest. Um and also, like Valencia came and beat us on a cold night in Stoke, and they're, they're, they're not even one of the best teams in La, in La Liga. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, would like to see it die. Um, yeah. But 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 it did it did make, sort of make you feel a bit good. Like they they didn't use it for other teams. So uh, it, it's it's that it's that whole. Oh, the Premier League's the best league in the world, though, isn't it? It's that whole, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, you think he's good, but could he do it in the Premier League? Could he do it on a cold yeah. night in Stoke? Well, yeah, probably they could because they're a good <laughs> footballer. Like, uh, And that, yeah, that annoys me as well, the whole, we're the best league in the world. Because there's a lot of debate to say we're not. Right, well, this is from Benito SCFC. Um, he says, which position needs more investment, either starting eleven or squad depth? I think that's one question in itself. And then, and what player would be ideal to come in and why? So if we go with the first part first, which position needs more investment? Uh, starting 11, I think that we... It's, it's going to be very, very harsh, but I think that we need a new left-back because I think that Eric Peters... No, not to say that Eric Peters has done a particularly bad job in his time here, but it's. I think it's a position we can improve on. Um, the same has to be said for defensive midfield. Not to slag off Glenn Whelan, but he's getting older now. We need a replacement. Um, so I think those two, if I could only buy them two positions that would like uh, yeah I would go for them two first and foremost before buying anything else uh, if we were to say in the summer that's where I would look yeah I'm in agreement as well with in terms of sort of starting 11 or squad depth I think if you improve your starting 11 your squad depth it becomes better doesn't it so um, I'm not really one for sort of suggesting we buy cover for certain positions I think uh, if if you want to spend money in a transfer window you buy a player who should be in the starting 11 
And uh, I'd, ag- I'd agree, uh, left back, uh, holding midfielder. Oh no, how many times have we said on the podcast we still haven't replaced Nzonzi? Mm-hmm. And he, he may well be irreplaceable, but uh, yeah, uh, a N'Golo Kante figure uh, would. <laughs> Yeah, just just uh, just one of them, please. You're not asking for much. Yeah, I'd agree. I, 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 for another sort of position, maybe right back as well. I think we I think we could sort of be be stuck if we don't get a right back pretty pretty soon. We don't know what's happening with Glenn Johnson and and Barty is fan. I think he's great when he comes on and plays, but yeah, he is quite old now. So I think right back as well. So both fullbacks. And we'll go for the second bit. Is there a is there a player that that you've got in mind that you'd like to see at the club? Obviously. Realistic. Let's not both go saying Lionel Messi, please. <laughs> I think if you were to look in them positions um, and say left back, I think that we couldn't go far wrong with actually following through and going for a player like Charlie Taylor at Leeds or um, uh, Robertson at Hull or even Kieran Turney at Celtic. Now, Celtic will want tons of money for him because he's a real talent, but I think that left back position we need to buy someone who's a bit younger and there's no reason why not to go for a home grown British based player there's some good ones coming through the ranks at the moment so I would any of those three would be good at the at the left back I would think if I could sign one player at the moment uh, problem is with suggesting oh we'll just get a Nzonzi replacement is, is you have to think of one and uh, I can't uh, not realistically anyway Um but one signing I think we have to make is Bruno Martins Indy on a permanent deal. Yeah. So uh, yeah. if you if you're giving me a pot of money right now, that would be the first <laughs> signing I'd make uh, before the others. I well, I, I'm a I'm a big Trippier fan, and I think he's being underutilised at Spurs. And I think I've seen him mentioned a couple of times. So I'd like to see him. He's quite young, and um, British, obviously. So that ticks the box there. And yeah, I think he's exactly what we need. He would suit our system and. And Spurs might be willing to let him go at the right price because I mean he's I think he's playing today in their FA Cup fixture. I had a look, but yeah, Kieran Trippier for me. I think he's he's a decent player and and he'd be happy to leave because I'm I'm guessing he he probably wants to play some football more often. It's my question now, and this <laughs> one came from uh, Lee Hawthorne, um, and we'll start with you, Dave. How can or should Stoke fans actively seek to create a better, more original atmosphere? Now I think that's a really interesting question because that's something that is quite it's brought up so often that oh it's not the same as it was blah 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 what what do you think can be done? Oh it's an interesting one isn't it and sort of touches on the points we raised in that sort of fun experience uh sort of question earlier. The the trouble is is once we sort of stayed up that first season we were worried that naturally due to the us versus them dynamic being lost, that the atmosphere would grow quieter, sort of more expectant, uh, more sort of tepid. And that has happened. And that's partly due to our own success on the pitch and expectations being raised. So naturally there's been this drop-off in atmosphere because we don't have this sort of um, us against the world element to our support anymore which is fine I'd, I'd rather we were a comfortable mid-table side than one expected to fight relegation now in terms of atmosphere it's very interesting because whilst I want us to have a ferocious sort of bare pit atmosphere and all the rest of it 
it's very hard to manufacture that, especially in the in the sort of modern game. We we mock uh, Leicester fans for having clappers. We mock Chris, the Crystal Palace ultras, and we mock like the flags at Anfield and stuff like that. But could it mm. could it be any worse than now if we had a, an ultra section or just like manufactured noise like Leicester do? Uh, I'm not saying that we need clappers or anything, but <laughs> what I'm saying is. Um, we should create an atmosphere, but I don't think it's possible currently unless we go on a run to the title or something mad like that. So I honestly don't know the answer. Um, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this, to be honest. I, th- I think you, you brought up some really good points. And, and the point that I wanted to raise was just that attitude thing, like going going back to, as you mentioned, the, the us against the world kind of atmosphere. I think we need to remember that we're in the Premier League and that is amazing for our club. Like, we're in a time in our club where, like, people will be talking about this for years to come. There is no guarantee that we'll be here forever. We all moan about ninth place mediocrity, but in, what, 20 years' time, if we're in League One or whatever it is called at that point, whatever sponsorship deal has happened, then we'll be looking back at this time that we could talk about it and people actually cared about Stoke City sort of just just loving it. We won't. We won't shut up about it. We'll probably still be doing a podcast about 2010 in in that mm. time in 20 <laughs> years time. That's how good it is at the moment. So if we can kind of and and we're all guilty of that I'm I'm guilty of that. You so you forget how much how great it is um, what we're going through at the moment and and same as David. I don't know the answer to how we change it. I mean, if I knew the answer, then I probably would have been trying to to do something about it anyway but I think just getting that attitude back as like this is Stoke City we're doing amazingly well would go some way to be like ev- going to every game and being like oh this is this is so good we're playing against the best teams in the world let's really make a day of it let's really make our money's worth because as a fan it's so much better when the atmosphere is is crazy as a player it must be so much better it clearly was for the players back in 2008 and similar um, similar years so I would, I would love to, but I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I think yeah. If if people knew the answer, it would have been done. I do think that, as we said earlier, there is an argument that I think safe standing would bring a lot of changes to a grounds environment. Mm. Simply because, again, there's a lot. There's a big difference between standing up and actively being attentive to something and sitting down. It's easy to. I don't know, not be as engaged. It's more like you're viewing rather than participating. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, it's going to be impossible to recapture that spirit, that us against them spirit that we that we had all those years ago. Yeah, but um, I th- we have our moments. On. Sorry, we have our moments. That's what we're going to say. Yeah. Um, the next question is the sort of wordy one that's uh, sort of hard to pinned down in sort of a conversation uh, Harry Cairns on Twitter says not taking into account current form injuries and players currently out on loan what would your ideal Stoke 11 be uh, so I'm just going to ask Ben if you could just run us through your 11 without uh, explaining it just your, <laughs> your... okay right it's 4-2-3-1 that's all the explaining I'm doing Butland Johnson Shawcross Bruno Martins Indy Peters 
Whelan, Allen holding midfield, Arnautovic, Bojan and Shakiri, and then Berahino up front. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get abuse for that lineup now if I'm the only one doing it. Right, this is from yep. Nicholas Buxton on Twitter, so thanks for getting involved. He says, what is your favourite and least favourite signing of the Hughes era? So, Chris, do you want to kick us off? My favourite signing of the Mark Hughes era is Bojan, because I think he represented loads of just the, the massive change. Um, and my, my least favourite is... Um, it's 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 awkward this because I I don't I think he did well for us but it's actually Stephen Island. Uh-huh. Now it's not because I dislike Stephen Island, but I just think when I when I've gone through them all, I, I could have said uh, Jonathan, but do you know what he's he's got a cult symbol status, so I can't I can't pick him. And actually, Stephen Island's the one player I'm not actually that excited about. So sorry, Stephen. <laughs> Poor Stephen, he's, he's he's injured with a broken leg, and you're just yeah, slagging him off. I'm not <laughs> slagging him off. He's just he just doesn't do much for me. <laughs> well, I, I like Stephen Island anyway. Um, my favourite Mark Hughes signing is, on reflection, looking at all they've brought to the club, is Marco Anatovic. Uh, don't think I need much explanation there, really. And my least favourite is, um, I was going to say Juan Agudelo. Uh, the, who we technically Aww. signed, but it, yeah. it never we never saw him play. It's between him and Steve Sidwell, who uh, oh, <laughs> was a bit was a bit of a midfield hand grenade at times for us. I, I just have nightmares about that game against QPR where we conceded a free kick in the last minute. Uh, useless ginger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Ben? Um, I think just for the sort of the story of it all and the fact that it was on and then it was very much off and then he was spotted in the crowd on television and it was like oh my god it's on and we're guessing Sheridan Shakiri <laughs> and then I went to Norwich away and that was his first game and he got an assist in that game and just the excitement about we've got a world class player in our team and I just can't believe it um, it, it yeah. was a holy shit moment when yeah. he signed wasn't it it was like he's he's famous yeah. you know he was like people know him and he's yeah. not like he's not sort of had years in the wilderness I mean he had like, he's maybe had like a year and there's always been that promise that he still <laughs> hasn't really delivered but I just think yeah the excitement for Shakiri was mad um, and my least favourite signing because I think he was he's been misused and likely we'll never see him in a Stoke shirt again and it's not fair I think Hosolu I think he got Ooh. done over I think he got brought in he did he did fine when he came on he did well for us when he came on he hugged the referee he's an absolute legend <laughs> and then he got he got shown the door and I don't think he deserved that so I think for Mark Hughes not being a nice man to a Spaniard I think it's got to be positive <laughs> oh, okay I'll, I will move on then quickly this one came from Angela Smith and it's a really good question this one um, do you think that, uh, that technically the Premier League is as good now as it was when we first got promoted. Uh, Dave, do you want to rattle us through your thoughts? Yeah, um, it's re- it's so hard to to judge really because uh, there's so many uh, di- contributing factors. Not least of which is the fact that we've got better during our time in the Premier League. So you think kind of that makes you think, oh, the league's not as good because we're doing better, which is rubbish, really. But um, 
What I would say is looking at the teams that went down in our first season, you had Middlesbrough, Newcastle, and oh, was it Sunderland? Oh no, no. Uh, I've got got going to get me facts wrong here. But um, yeah, I think there was a, it was a four-team scrap for relegation that year. Hull just picked Newcastle uh, right on the last day of the season, and. When I look at the teams that potentially going down this season, there's six, maybe seven, really, really poor sides. So I think the bottom is weaker. And I think also, whilst Chelsea are sort of running away with it this year, I think the top is slightly weaker as well. I don't think... Uh, Man United definitely aren't as good as they were. Uh, Man City have improved and Spurs have improved. I also don't think Liverpool are quite as good as they were yet. Uh and even this Chelsea team, I don't think, are as good as Mourinho's Chelsea, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say... And if you look at how we've done in Europe as well, the English clubs in Europe, we haven't had barely any success at all recently. So uh, I would say um, hard to judge, but marginally weaker. Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think I'd agree, to be honest. Um, I don't need to go through the same reasons as Dave has, has already said, but I think... The teams like right around us at the moment, you sort of Southamptons and that are better than those similar level teams were back in the day when we joined. I think the gap between eighth place and fourth place is less than it was. And and there was a time, I mean, I think this happens all the time where people are saying, oh, we're going to have this top four forever of whoever, Chelsea, United, Arsenal and and Liverpool and it, it and it didn't work like that and and that's a great thing I think that gap is actually getting closer um, than further away which might be a bit of a controversial one but yeah I, I think mm-hmm. the overall league is, is definitely weaker you look at the Champions League um, and what clubs do at that level it's just not the same as as those glory days not that I care that much We're, we'll have this question uh, before we go to the break uh, and it comes from Sky Andrew agent of uh, our beloved Julian and Goy and he says why do people say that Stoke played that Stoke don't play good football it's a myth he cites on out of it Shakiri and Allen Ben what, why why do people why are people mean to us lazy 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 journalism um, I think it's incredible how people that are paid to um, analyse football don't know what they're talking about I think that sin is especially I was thinking about it the other day and I think it's especially true for TV pundits I think there are some amazing um, pundits who really know about football I mean I've called up to TalkSport and been chatting to people on TalkSport about Imbula and his impact on the team which I was like so thrown by because I just expect now that no one knows what's happening at Stoke but when I talked to them they really did and I just think TV journalists especially, or I, I say journalists, TV pundits, or whatever you want to call them, um, just they've got this this one stick that they're beating and they, they can't change their view on a team. And and yeah, it's just too easy for them to get things wrong. And I think that's the reason that there's, there's no one sort of telling them, hang on a second, you need to do your homework a bit more because they're ex-professionals and and all that matters is is that really they don't need to they don't need to refresh their views and and they don't for some reason i th- i think it's so so lazy 
I can't, I can't add anything to that. That's the best answer. It's, it's laziness and it's a stereotype and it's probably all Arsenal fans' fault. You are listening to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. A place for the love of the game. What I love about football is just the the random hugs that happen after goals with strangers in the crowd. A place for unadulterated emotion. The talk of the Tony Pierce child and then that, I'm going to be crying in the street in a second. A place for bold predictions. I've put it public that I don't think Crouch is going to score a goal again for us in the league. A place for expert insight. I'm with Stan Collymore of all people. Stan, you watch a lot of football. And if all those areas were not covered... Pulis would go absolutely ape in the dressing room at us. And a place for hashtag deploy and goy. It's a big moment in his career. It's a, a big moment in his life, probably. I can't help but feel entirely responsible <laughs> for what just happened. The Wizards of Drivel podcast. A place for Stoke City. Now this is Trump's podcast. Okay, welcome back. Ben, you have a question for us. Right, this is from Martin Cook. He says, will we ever see another Potter's, a Pottery's derby? And why is it that now the two clubs are so far apart that we don't send them any players on loan? It could be beneficial for both parties. So, yeah, answer both questions. Will we ever see another Pottery's derby first? And then, and then why is it that there's no sort of loan agreement there in place? Chris? If we are to see another derby, which I think just by sheer football odds, we will one day... Um, I think it's more likely to happen in a cup than it is in the league, especially with how Vale are doing at the moment. Um, we're not in danger of going down and <laughs> they're not in going to come up anytime soon. Um, but we can hope so. One day, because Derby's a mint. Um, on the loan front, I don't actually know why we, we don't. Like Obviously, there's the huge, huge rivalry. and <laughs> I, but... I have a theory. I have a theory that... Um... Whilst Port Vale will acknowledge that, um, okay, we're not going to play each other anytime soon and the the rivalry isn't what it once was, I think it's just the humiliation. I think it's just, uh, if if we were to loan out players, I think they, they take that as a bit of a dig at them. You're now so lowly. We think so little of this rivalry that we are willing to give you players. And I don't think they'd like that very much. That That's my theory. Surely, with that theory, we should we should then make a public sort of statement, being like, "This is what we want to do," just to piss them off. Because <laughs> then, then if they deny yeah. it, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. I, 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 I wonder if uh, Peter Coates is that sort of uh, <laughs> uh, petty. Um, oh, in how he conducts himself. Can um, I? Can, can I? Can I just quickly? Right. It, it, I'm sorry to go into computer game territory, but on one of the old football manager games, I had this massive long stave with Stoke, and I eventually left them in like the year 2036. And the year after I left, Traitor. they played. Well, you know, we'd won everything we needed to win, um, and they. So the year after I left, they drew Vale in the cup. Now this is Championship Vale as well. So first time Ooh. they've played them since 2002. So it's 2036. Oh uh, my goodness! And it, yeah, so it was played at the the new Stoke City ground because they'd had a new ground built to accommodate the 80,000 fans. Uh, and Stoke thrashed Vale 12 nil. And it yes. was yes. So you know. There so will be another. Tw- there will be another derby. It won't be till the thirties, and Stoke will be a global powerhouse by then. But uh, so it's going to happen. 
in 2036, we've got a 12-0 victory over Vale to look forward yep. to. That's that's brilliant. In, tw- um, in 2036, this podcast goes viral when that actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, save, save this episode. We're, we're, we're soothsayers. Um, will we see another Puffy Derby? I mean, yes, yeah, sort of. We'll play every team eventually. I don't think you can help that. More likely to be in a cup if it's any time soon. Um uh, it could well be that in next season's Checker Trade Trophy, if if that experiment continues, we, we might draw them purely because of that's regionalised, and so they might put uh, Stoke if if we agree to it in Vale's group. So yeah, I, I, it will happen one day. Um, I'm not. I, there's, there's a lot of people who say, "Oh, I don't want to ever play the Vale again." I think I'm not bothered, really. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I don't think I need to add anything to that. I think you both answered that pretty well. <laughs> All right. In which case, then let me throw open my question, which is from F S C F C Josh ninety six, and it's what is the worst Stoke win you've ever seen? And now he's put ideally since two thousand and eight because that's when everyone became a fan, isn't it? So, <laughs> what's the worst win you've ever seen? Now that's interesting. Um... I'll, I'll go through. I'll, I'll um, accept the post two thousand and eight premise, though. I dare say I've sat through a hell of a lot of turgid, <laughs> uh, scraping the barrel anti football Stoke wins. Uh, I mean, the the binary season in oh four oh five just springs to mind. Just like <laughs> you could just pick pick and choose any game off that off that season schedule, couldn't you? Um, but in the Premier League, though, I was thinking, oh, they could, the Watford game from this season was quite dull. Yeah. There was there have been a number of quite dull games from this season. But um, what I did was go through all our Premier League seasons and just like look at all our wins and say, just see what I could remember about it. And in Tony Pulis's last season. There was a 1-0 victory at home to Norwich on the 3rd of March 2012. Etherington scored the only goal in the 70, 72nd minute. And I just can't remember anything about this game. I just like it's completely gone. I, I can remember like one all draws against Warsaw from 2003. I can't remember this game at all. <laughs> and also this, this season, um, Matthew Etherington was our top scorer in the league with five goals. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder we left. Uh, Pulis left. Well, the game that I had picked out. I mean, I've, I've, I. Well, the ideally since 2008 was interesting because the game that I picked out was actually the Boxing Day fixture on 1958 between Leighton Orient and Stoke City, where we won one nil in a turgid <laughs> affair. But. Um, <laughs> Then I then I realised I had to pick something since 2008, and then I, again I picked up another one that wasn't since 2008. I've just realised because um, <laughs> I just had a look at the date, and I oh, I'm an idiot. Um, I'll I'll still say it because I've I thought of it. Um, it was the game. It was televised against Coventry, and it was really foggy. Um, and... Whoa 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 whoa! Andy Griffin scored an absolute screamer. You need to let me finish. He did score a screamer, and that was a great goal. But I mean, it was it was a pretty boring game, other than that, and you could hardly see it. And also, we for some reason back in the day when when the game was on telly, and this was just when we got 
Sky Plus or whatever. So it was it was in the sort of couple of months afterwards. So what my dad would do would which I absolutely hate and hated at that point as well was pause the game and then watch it like 20 minutes behind time <laughs> no. as he had like a oh. snack before the game or did something oh. I mean I mean nowadays with Twitter that would be hell but even then it was awful <laughs> and anyway we're watching this game 20 minutes behind I'm probably sitting there seething anyway <laughs> and my uncle was sitting there with us and he got a text through from one of his mates and he said oh what a goal so we knew that we like there'd been a oh, great goal before oh, it had gone gosh. in ruined it for you in this and then and then then they had the then they were everyone was like oh we should probably turn our phones off shouldn't we like too late now <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's, that's a bit oh, of a convoluted dude. way of saying that was that was <laughs> yeah. the worst stoke win i've yeah. seen yeah, yep. I can understand that from your experience. It, that falls into one of those games where I did look through those uh, Premier League seasons and see games that were awful, but just had one moment in them <laughs> that uh, really stood out. Like uh, Ricardo Fuller's winner against away at West Ham, where he uh, did yeah. uh, dribble through the whole team, was a pretty awful game. And also, when we beat West Brom at the Hawthorns with Ryan Shotton's last minute screamer that, that was another uh, had that not gone in that would have just completely been erased from my memory it was an awful awful match but because of that goal and being there it was just like absolute scenes Chris no I, my mine was that that West Brom game where he because he, he, he I'm still like he he, come, he knocks the ball out of the hands of the keeper and goes it's and beautiful. scores, and that's and that's the only bit of that game that I remember. It it, it has to be up there. And, and another one was um, when Tony Pulis's last season. We the last win he ever got was against uh, Norwich. Uh, Charlie Adams scored the goal, and I just remember thinking, God, if this is what a win feels like, because bloody hell, we're torrid at this point. Um, it it was it was that time where it was like, yeah, this is this is the end. It's coming to a close, Tony. Um, and that was definitely one of them for me. Next, we have a question from at Ben Taylor GFF. Uh, he says, what have been some of your favourite and least favourite Stoke kits from down the years? Wow, it's, that's a, a pretty tough one. Um, but I'll, I'll go through a couple. I really like the um, the sort of red and blue away kit. The, the, is it maroon? I'm not an expert on colour names. Yes. But the sort of the deep red. <laughs> Barcelona kind of esque kit. I was a big fan of that. Wore that a lot when I played football. Um, but a recent one that I got another away kit was the one I think it's from 1996 or something like that with that has the letters Stoke on it. And originally I was a bit sort oh, of yeah. I was a bit I didn't I questioned that a bit when I saw it online. I I, I was three then, so I don't remember that kit off the top of my memory. Um, but anyway, I got it. Secret Santa this this Christmas and now I'm in love with it and I think it's great. <laughs> um, for home kits as well, I think I think just the general Adidas kits were really classy. I know it, it, they were quite dull and they were just sort of done again for whoever which club had Adidas as a sponsor. But I just think they looked quite nice in general. Kits I didn't like was the Puma one from oh six oh seven because it had it looked like a bit oh, of a yeah. bib on the on the yeah. on the front. Yeah, I'm not pretty much like Puma. I love Puma as a brand, but come on we we don't need a bib um and the another 90s away kit was the purple one with it says ansels on the front and it oh was, that's a classic oh 
I'm not sure on that. You, you, gonna you're going to have a lot of uh, our older listeners uh, yep. call you out on I'm your. I'm sure. Well, I, I expected that, but I'm not sure on that one. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> but you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Chris, oh, yes. favorite soap kits. Okay, so from from my lifetime. Well, firstly, I think last year's the New Balance one was very, very nice. Like that's the of the modern Premier League era. I think that's got to be one of my favourites. I love the fact that there was almost like darker red pinstripes in the red stripes. Mm. Oh, it was gorgeous. I remember having a discussion with someone at work about like because I'm there saying, "Oh, this is such a great kit," and they're like, "It's the same. You have red and white stripes every year." And I'm like, "No, it's got continental flair." Um, <laughs> I mean, I I also like the Puma one from 2004 and five, mainly because I still have that one and it still fits. So something from when I was 14 still fits me, which is great. Um, I I also really like uh, not from my lifetime, but they when the club started doing all retro kits, they did the um, one which has the Crystal Tiles sponsorship across the front okay. from the the late 80s and I think that that kit is bloody lovely um, in terms of kits that I don't like I agree the 2007 one with the bib no 2006 yeah the one with the bib yeah, yeah. like it, uh, not not a fan not a fan at all I also didn't like um, the 2012-13 one um, and, I, and I don't really know why there was just something about it that I was a bit odds with was that but, the one we wore in Europe or the no, one in Pulis's last season the Pulis's last season and it had oh, like yeah. a I, I don't know why it felt it, it, me, it, it was too it, white wasn't it yeah <laughs> that was it it was too white that um, what, which you, which sounds stupid right your own but yeah. joke <laughs> but um, yeah what about yourself Dave um Spoilt for choice. I think recently uh, our away kits have been uh, pretty top notch. I really like our current one. I, I really like the black with the green uh, sash away kit, and also the similar blue and blue away kit. Um, if I had to pick an absolute favourite, I'm a, perhaps due to sentimental reasons. My first ever Stoke kit was uh, the '99 2000 era kit it sort of uh, had a big white panel with a Britannia sponsor in it was this kit we wore before we got promoted to the second tier under good John and it had thorn nine on the back and it was oh. my absolute I wore it everywhere um, oh, that's lovely so yeah uh, least favourite uh, I didn't like the kit we wore first season in the Premier League with a big red panel at the front rather than stripes I thought that just looked silly um, and also the kit we went to Wembley in with the big red back um, sort of a- annoyed me as well. <laughs> this is from Frosty Potter. I like this question a lot. It, it took a lot of thinking. But what is the best individual performance you've witnessed against Stoke? That's a really, really difficult one. Um, because as I've, as I've alluded to in the, in previous episodes, I actually just don't pay attention to the other team. Like I don't really <laughs> care for them. Um, I think that the likes of um, like Sergio Aguero have had some pretty impressive games against us. If you if you had to single out individuals, I suppose like he's always going to be a, a danger, and I've seen him have some pretty impressive games against us. I can't really think of any standout person who 
I came away thinking, oh, bloody hell, they had they had the, an amazing game. Um, there was the alluding back to our European special episode. Um, what was the what was the Valencia? No, not no. Was it the Besiktas player who had a really good game, or was it Valencia? Uh, yeah, Besiktas, uh, Karejma. Yes, was, um, that, unbelievable. Like that, yeah, he he was unbelievable. But actually, like I can't. There's not many where I, yeah, like I say, I don't pay attention to other teams. <laughs> Dave, any any individual? Um, well, there, there's there's a, a few um, few great players who have turned up against Stoke uh, down the years. Luis Suarez has been um, a thorn in our side multiple times. Um, I was going. I think I was going to go for Didier Drogba, who. I think first season up, uh, I think he scored a, a beautiful diving header against us and was just absolutely bullying our defenders all day. And he's he's <laughs> one of my favourite uh, non-Stoke players ever, Drogba. I, th- I think he's mm. just almost the complete striker in many ways. I've also got a sort of random one that um, me and my dad what, uh, went to haul away our second season in the Premier League and... For some reason, Jimmy Bullard turned into <laughs> Iniesta. He, he, and he just seriously, he ran the show that game from midfield. And I was like, "Whoa, this, this is it's only Jimmy, Jimmy Bullard, Bullard. But, but that just that just stand, stands out in my head as a notable, great individual performance against Stoke. And he's got wow. great banter too. So, Jimmy, so yeah. my, my individual performance was would be in the aftermath of the FA Cup final I think the week after it, we played Man mm-hmm. City again and got absolutely annihilated because our spirits had just been shot by the fact that we'd lost the FA Cup final um, and Carlos Tevez was just incredible that day I think he scored yeah. a free kick if I remember right yeah and, he scored an amazing free kick yeah, yeah and he just yeah just absolutely obliterated us where they couldn't really break us down at Wembley very well at all and then Obviously, with a mixture of different factors, um, yeah, I think just Carlos Tevez yeah. played us off the park that day. So I'll go with that. Or also, um, just a, a random player who, I, for some reason, it's just like come to mind now is uh, Breda Hangeland had a game against us once where he was just unmovable <laughs> for Fulham. And it's like, who who is this titan they've got? <laughs> I think he, I think he, I think he only had like one, maybe two good seasons for Fulham. But uh, yeah, him, he was pretty good that day. Sad one for you now. This comes from Omak Brother, which is which ex Stoke player were you saddest to see leave and why? <laughs> I think, I think, uh, in terms of my uh, emotions, uh, the fact that I was young and had his name on the back of my shirt, I think it's got to be Peter Thorne. Um, it, it was the days where Cardiff were the big spending. A rich club in the league and they'd already bought Graham Kavanagh offers and Peter Thorne was our absolute favourite player he was our goal machine and they just threw money at us until we had to let him go and it was a yeah a very sad day for me it, the, I think it's one of those formative football experiences that sort of uh, it, it was a learning experience that you know sometimes players leave clubs and you've got to adapt to it yep. I think for me I would say Abdullahi Fai, because um, obviously he was so influential for us. Um, I don't need to explain that to anyone. And then it wasn't even like he was bought. We just let him go. 
Um, I think that's obviously that's how football works, and that's if he's not got a place in the team, then you got to let a player go. But he was just so so good, and and yeah, and as a as a centre back myself at the time when I used to play Sunday league football, sort of a player that I, I I kind of wanted to base myself on, just imperious at the back, heading everything, chipping in with a couple goals, and and just that passion that he had for the club, and then he left and he left for West Ham as well. It's just. Yeah, I'd say Abdelifi. That's really sad. Now I feel sad again. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna, I, I, I was gonna say, um, Mr. Thorne as well, Dave. But I think uh, purely because it represented the end of an era. Um, Ricardo Fuller leaving, no. so being, being, playing a game. He wasn't. Let's be honest. In in his last few season with us, he wasn't a regular starter. But he played Tony Pulis, not a man for sentimentality. Played him anyway. Played him on sub- the wing. I played him on the wing, subbed him off so he could get his applause. And it, I don't know, it just felt like, oh, this is this is the end of something special here. And bless him. Bless Rick. Mm. Uh, this question is from at Run Frosty. And he says, if Stoke were to disappear from football tomorrow, another happy premise, uh, <laughs> who, who would you each support? I was born near... West Ham, but I really don't want to support what? West Ham. Oh God! So I'm not going to say West Ham, um, but I'm I'm not going to lie about my roots. I don't think I can really hide it with my accent. So that was where I was born. But <laughs> I mean, this is another controversial choice. But a, a team that I've been going to a lot and a team where my dad and uncle were actually from, my granddad was from Stokes, was Stockport, and I've been to see them quite a lot. But I know that's quite controversial because maybe a couple of the old listeners. Sort of there, there is a bit of a rivalry there with the um, with the playoffs and and the football league trophy or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I'll probably say Stockport because they've got a fantastic atmosphere. Um, and yeah, I think just based on geography wise, it would probably be Rotherham uh, who I'd support, which would be more depressing than Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, probably it would just have to be. Rotherham. Although I'd probably just give up and be like a glory supporter and just. <laughs> that's, that's if Sto- you know, yeah. If Stoke were to stop existing, I would just be like, do you know what? I get to, I get to start again. So why am I going to pick a team that's going to be? No, we'll go for. I'll, I'll become a Barcelona fan. <laughs> uh, of course, the correct answer to this question is uh, you wouldn't be able to support anyone else. <laughs> hey. uh, but as much. Uh, as much as I wouldn't consider them my team, um, the the team, t- I don't really believe in second teams that much. But uh, the team I sort of go quite regularly to when Stoke are away and stuff is uh, AFC Fylde, uh, club nearest to me. If you don't know them, they are currently top of the Vanarama North, so they're looking good for promotion to the uh, Vanarama Conference. Um, they play in Kirkham in Lancashire and. Uh, they're a club um, very much on the up. They've got a brand new stadium that they're getting really good attendances for. Uh, they won 3-1 uh, on yesterday. Uh, Danny Rowe is a, a player to watch. He's scored 40 goals already this season. Um, if you want to find out more about FC Fylde, I recommend a piece by David Cowlishaw on The Set Pieces. So if you just Google The Set Pieces, David Cowlishaw. Uh, very informative, well-written uh, superb article. <laughs> shameless, absolutely shameless. The Wizards of Drivel podcast. 
a place for Stoke City. Now this is Trump's podcast. We're back. Ben, what is your question? This is from at Stokey Mad, and he says, what do you have on your oatcakes? Chris. Oh, I don't really eat them. Like, this is the thing. I don't, like, everyone Jesus. thinks that... Oh, every, no, because they're not. Like, you make it sound like they're a... Oh, yeah, everyone eats them every day. It's like, I live in Yorkshire. Some people the, do. Yeah, but it's the assumption. Oh, you have Yorkshire puddings every day. No, no, we don't. Um, on the occasion <laughs> where I have had an oatcake, it's cheese and bacon. But, like, it's not a regular thing. Like, oh, That's you fine. have a favourite mm-hmm. topping? What? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no, it's a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> on your wet um, Tuesday nights what oatcake do you have Jesus <laughs> I'd like email addresses emails to Chris please it's about his uh, anti-oatcake rant oh dear me um, I'm just I'm just trying to spark the controversy <laughs> that yeah um, I am uh, also a cheese and bacon man occasionally cheese and sausage has to has to be with brown sauce though for me I think that's that's the clincher uh, in this particular uh, question shout out to the boat cake uh, by the ground and also uh, <laughs> sorry sorry to sort of derail this show again with um, have you have you written an article on oat cakes Dave <laughs> check out my oat cake no. blog <laughs> updating you on all your favourite oat cake toppings <laughs> no no what I was going to say Not is yet. there is a place in there is a place in stone uh, that I've been to before which is the best premise for a business I've ever seen. It's called Oatcakes and Milkshakes. Guess what it sells? <laughs> Valencian oranges? No, okay. So you can get oh, a nice uh, sauce. It sounds like a, it's just like, yeah, you can get your cheese and bacon sausage, all of that and like naturally to accompany your delicious oatcake I'll have a triple chocolate milkshake please. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that I don't is... need. I don't need to add to that. I mean, I, I have cheese and bacon when I have an oat cake, and I and I had one this morning when I saw the question list. I went out and bought one. Um, yeah, moving on. <laughs> See, Chris, people buy them. I just that re- that restaurant sounds incredible and sounds worthy of a Wizards of Drivel Man versus Food style episode. I think. Right. <laughs> That's happening. I, I, I'm so game. I'm so game. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll throw a question your way this is from the catalan potters they want to know when are we going to come to catalonia and what about a made in catalonia podcast uh as soon as someone pays for it we'll go <laughs> like honestly if 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 catalan potters want to you know buy us a three three flights over there maybe put us up somewhere we'd be oh. delighted to host uh, any number of podcasts for them <laughs> would, a, would a made in catalonia podcast be like the the E4 sort of reality yeah. TV program made in Chelsea is that the premise of it <laughs> um, but but with better looking people <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, yeah that sounds great I repeat what Dave Let's... says that sounds fantastic okay so that's offi- that's officially in the pipeline let's do it <laughs> yeah uh, question from Chirag uh, do female Stoke fans sing Delilah uh, I think I think the answer is just Yes, isn't it? Yes, probably. Yeah, my, yeah, they. I think some do. Yes, my 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 mum does, but she misses out the first bits of the verse, and Fair she'll enough. only join in with "Why, why, why, Delilah." That's because she's very like Christian and lovely, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, next question 
from Matt Selfridge. He says, who would win in an Anchorman-style brawl between yourselves and the Bear Pit TV? I've, got, I've had to think about this one hard, haven't I? Uh, I think... Why? That... <laughs> Did it keep you up at oh, night? It, it, well, it's a rec- yeah, recurring nightmare for me. I think we'd win. We'd win, Ben, because um, we, like Anchorman, we speak much more nonsense. And so, yeah, and pff, why not? We'd win. We would win. We'd right. win. Okay, we'd win. <laughs> now, if it's like the actual Anchorman style brawl, there's loads of different news things. So, if you're going to start bringing in Duck Magazine and Oatcake <laughs> and Stoke Loud and Proud, then it becomes a bit of a brawl. And I have no idea who wins that one. But if we're doing a one on one, well, we will win. And I throw that <laughs> this... challenge down to the Bear Pit TV. It sounds like a Donald <laughs> Trump speech or something. I don't know. <laughs> Dave, oh, anything to him? Uh, I think 60% of the time we'd win all the time. There we go. That's a, that's a film <laughs> reference for anyone that hasn't seen the film. Um, there's a lot more of the Bear Pit, and, and I don't think I don't think that I'd be up for a fight, so I'm going to say that Bear Pit would win, by the way. Just yeah, I think, I, I, I think we are totally outmatched here. Um, I think Chris, Chris is shooting his mouth off, uh, trying to sort we're out gonna, something. We're going to win bigly. Losing. We're going to win bigly, folks. Okay. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> Tell us the next question, Chris. Sussex Stokey, Tom Thrower of this parish, wants to know who would win in a fight, a bear or a shark? <laughs> uh, Dave! Bear. It's a bear, obviously. It completely depends on the circumstances. I don't like the question. I really Exa- don't. Exactly. If you're, not, if you're in the water, then well, the shark wins. If you're not in the water, the bear wins. If you're in between, the bear probably wins as well. Yes, that, that, that was my uh, reasoning. Uh, in water shark, <laughs> on land bear. If, if you're sort of on the edge of the shoreline and the shark's sort of jumping out, but the bear can swipe it, it I think the bear's got the upper hand. And also, uh, bears can swim, but sharks can't walk. So, like, can't naturally... <laughs> sharks can't walk, Ben, shut up. Um, Sorry, I just, I just, so I'm just checking my biology degree to check that, if that's true. So naturally, uh, the bear will do more. Uh, bear will get an away goal, if you like. The bear will do some damage to the shark uh, in water, uh, whereas the shark, I don't think, would uh, score any points away from home. <laughs> I'm so glad you thought that through. Like, I spent just... I spent longer on it than I did for most of the other questions, to be honest. Yes. Uh, Jugbank Stokey asks, would you rather have 100 duck-sized Whelans... <laughs> sorry, one, 100 duck-sized Whelans or, uh, in the team, uh, they, they, so they're playing for Stoke, um, or 100 imbula-sized ducks? It's, ben? The, the only answer to this is 100 imbula-sized ducks, surely, because then if you've <laughs> yeah. got 100 imbula-sized ducks in the team... Then the whole—that's terrifying. The whole doll yeah. pitch is made up of these huge ducks. Like, regardless of whether they can actually play football, that's really scary. Yeah, they, they would cause untold damage to the opposition and probably our own players as well. Uh, just like <laughs> they could kill you with a flap of their wings, couldn't they? And... Do they have gloves on their wings? <laughs> do, do they have gloves on? <laughs> <laughs> that's it we've won uh, 
I think uh, all a hundred of those ducks would be criticised for being lazy and uh, not tracking back. <laughs> not not quacking back. <laughs> it gets worse. It really does. Oh, uh, th- right, thankfully, we're at our last question. Right, this is from Sussex Stokey once again. He says, how do you think the other five timelines are going? Assuming we're in the darkest one. So a nice happy ending. Um, uh, yeah, respond to that how you want to, Chris, please. So we, so we are in the darkest timeline. I, I, think... I, re- I reject his premise. I don't think this is the darkest timeline. But no, I, I th- no, this is definitely not the darkest timeline. The darkest timeline, like, has like Bowie, Bojan without an arm and things like that. Like, this, that, that's the darkest timeline. That's the darkest timeline itself. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think in the happiest timeline, obviously Stoke have just won the league. At a canter uh, already, um, but this is definitely not the darkest timeline. No, 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 no. Dave, you know I about think, timelines. Yeah, um, I don't want to get too much into the um, sort of into quantum theory and uh, stuff like that because you, you know I am an expert in that. But um, yes, yes, I I reject Tom's premise that this is the darkest timeline. Um, however, if it were. In the other timelines, uh, we wouldn't have such a uh, such a stupid podcast question. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in a in an alternate universe, we would have better questions uh, than that one, Tom. So, uh, thanks, mate. Uh, uh, and on that note, uh, that's it from us. Um, we got there in the end. Um, thank you for all those questions, especially those uh, bizarre ones. Uh, as always, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Wizards of Dribble, at Wizards of Dribble on Twitter, or email your complaints to, uh, <laughs> especially for Chris, for his anti-oatcake uh, bias. Uh, that's Wizards of Dribble podcast at gmail.com. Just remind you that we're in Sheffield next weekend, where you know <laughs> if, if you wanted to imagine what going for a beer with us w- would be like, I think you've just kind of heard it, to be honest. So, you know... <laughs> Uh, not anticipating many showing up uh, to be honest and uh, yeah that's it from us join us next week for episode 44 go on Stoke